Good morning. As you guys find your way to your seat, we're going to lead you in a song to get started this morning.
Father, we thank you for the truth that we have just sung, that though we are unfaithful, that we are broken, that we are full of sin, you've invited us to come. We thank you for what Christ has done, that we get to celebrate that this season, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I know that was a new song for you guys. It's a song I'd encourage you to look up and listen to this Christmas season. It's called, O Come All Ye Unfaithful, and what a reminder of the gospel as we kick off morning. Just a few announcements for us as we begin. I'm so glad you're here. For those in person, those on live stream at home, we're grateful we get to gather together to worship the Lord this morning. Now, just a few announcements. First of all, for our members, tonight is our once a year annual member meeting. This is a chance for us to come together and talk about what's happened at Gateway the past year, to celebrate what God has done, and to look to where he's leading us next year. That's five o'clock tonight, and so hope all of our members will be back for that few things coming up as Christmas so quickly approaches. Ladies, there's a Christmas painting fellowship tomorrow night. Now, we already have 49 of you coming to it. This is a great group. So registration is open until 5 o'clock tonight. After 5 o'clock, we have to make sure everything is ready for you guys tomorrow night. So we need you to register by 5. If you're not already coming, there'll be desserts and drinks and a chance to paint. And no, you do not have to be a professional painter to come. Mandy will teach you everything you need to know to paint some Christmas paintings with you guys tomorrow night. It'll be in the gyms and so that's tomorrow evening. Register by five today. Now, Wednesday night is one of our favorite Christmas fellowships of the year. It's our annual Gingerbread House Decorating Fellowship. Now, we had a huge group out last Wednesday for our service project and movie night, and we expect a great group again this Wednesday. We have pre-assembled gingerbread houses, so you do not have to spend your evening trying to figure out how to make the walls stick together and get frustrated, right? So this is not a part of our sanctification process, trying to build a gingerbread house. This Wednesday, they're pre-assembled, and we get to give you one. You get to come. We'll listen to Christmas music. We'll have cookies and desserts and hot chocolate and popcorn and all those things, and we'll get a chance just to fellowship together as we decorate gingerbread houses. This is not just for the kids. This is for all of us. So we'd encourage you to come, couples, senior adults, come, bring singles, bring your friends. Let's come do this together as a church family. One more Christmas event coming up is our annual Christmas Eve service on Friday, December 24th, Carol's Communion and Candlelight. It's about a 45-minute service for the whole family. We'll sing Christmas carols. We'll take communion together, and we'll just celebrate what we're, what we're celebrating all this Christmas season. Now, one last thing this morning before we light the Advent candles, we get to welcome some new members. God continues to bring new people to be part of our church, and we are so thankful. But So we have several introduced this morning. So Angel Hill, Jacob Conrad, and Jeff and Jennifer Hands, you guys come on down to the front here. I promise they're not a scary group to look at. So you guys come on down here with us. Which is see some of the new people the Lord has brought. There's others still in the membership process. These are the people who've completed that. They've done Discover Gateway. They have met the qualifications for membership. They've met with one of our elders. To, so we hear their story, talk about God's grace at work in their lives, and then they're ready to, to be part of us. So just several people I want to tell you a little about. And first of all, Angel Hill down here. You saw Angel last week if you were here because she got baptized last Sunday. So that was such a special time, yes. Angel moved here after, after she finished college at Troy. Has come here to Montgomery. She's a social worker with Agape Adoption Ministry, helping get kids who need forever homes into their forever homes. She loves hosting people in her home for game nights and dinners, and she loves karaoke with her friends. So if any of you guys like that, you have a new friend to do that with, and she wants you to know her favorite book of the Bible is Habakkuk. So I thought you'd enjoy that. So welcome, Angel. We're glad God's brought you to be part of Gateway. 
Right here in the middle, this is Jacob Conrad, but we just know him as Conrad. I don't think any of us ever call you Jacob, do we? So we just know him as Conrad here. He's originally from Montgomery, and he's part of a group here in town called Fisher's Farm. You'll hear more about them in just a minute. And so he lives there at Fisher's Farm, and in his free time, he enjoys playing guitar, reading, and writing. So a man of many interests and many talents, and he just said he cannot wait to make this his church home. And so, Conrad, we're thankful God's brought you here also. Then over here is Jeff and Jennifer Hand and several of their kids here. They've been married 21 years, and they have five daughters, and you see several of them here with them today. Their oldest is married to a youth pastor in town and has given them a grandson, which they're very excited about. They did not grow up in church, so if you don't know their story, you should have them over for a meal. They came to faith in Christ as adults, and God radically transformed their lives. And so Jeff now is an addictions counselor and the full-time director at a place called Fisher's Farm. Fisher Farm is a residential discipleship center. You hear us pray regularly for it in the service where they serve people of all different backgrounds who struggle with addictions to drugs, addictions to alcohol, homelessness, sexual sin. They bring these men into their house. They literally live with them at Fisher's Farm. And for a year, they walk them through finding freedom through the gospel and freedom in Christ. Their life is crazy and fun at Fisher's Farm with their four daughters still at home. Jen homeschools their daughters and helps Jeff run Fisher's Farms. That means she cooks lots and lots of meals for all these guys, right? Um, they're both really passionate about disciple making. They're passionate about adoption. They're passionate about counseling and community. And they love sharing meals and coffee with others. So we want to welcome you guys too. Thanks, guys. You're going to make your way back to your seats. So we are so thankful God has brought them to be part of Gateway. And so, again, there's others in the process that we'll get to introduce to you hopefully in the weeks to come. Also, this morning is our Advent theme of joy, and so I'm excited this morning. Jeff Moody, one of our elders, is going to be preaching for us on the theme of joy this morning, but to kick us off in thinking about joy, Zach and Rachel Stewart are going to come light the Advent candle for us, and so... Matthew 2, 7 through 11. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found, found him, bring me word that I may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Luke 2, 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Right, y'all sing as we get ready to worship together music this morning. Joy to the world 
Joy. 
darkness we were awake without hope and without light so from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin king the world from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt praise
Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love of which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now, before I pray for us, I want you to take just a minute, if you want to sit down or stand, whatever you like to do, would you take a minute and just thank God in prayer for what we've just sung, that our sins, though there are many, his mercy is more. Would you take a minute and just individually thank God for his mercy? Psalm 145 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves. We take just a minute where you're seated and you're seated and just thank God for his goodness and his nearness. Life is hard, friends. Many of you are suffering and in trials. And just take a minute and reflect on and thank God for his nearness and his goodness right now. John 1 tells us the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, we received grace upon grace. Take just a minute now and ask God for the grace upon grace that you need for whatever situation you're facing. Those truths are our hope. Those are our anchor. That you've set your affection upon us. Though our sins are many, your mercy is more. Thank you that you've forgiven us of all of our sin. Thank you that you have chosen us, that you've adopted us, that you've given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We thank you that you are good even when life is hard. We thank you that you are near as we walk through the hardships of life. We thank you that, Lord, you give us grace upon grace, wave after wave of grace crashing over us with everything we need to face the path you've called us to walk down. Thank you for those truths that we can reflect on, that we can sing about now, we can pray back to you. Lord, I pray that that would be our hope, that would be our anchor, that'd be what we focus on in the midst of the busyness of this season. Lord, as we think about you providing everything that we need, we want to pray right now for some different groups within the church. We want to pray for our single adults. We thank you that you brought so many here to Gateway. And we pray that, Lord, you would be their sufficiency, you would be their delight, that you would keep growing them in godliness and molding them and shaping them to be all that you've made them to be. We pray for the families of this church. We thank you there's so many that you've brought here as well. Lord, we know the enemy hates families, especially families that seek to honor you. And so we pray that you would guard the families of this church. You would keep our eyes focused on you and that Lord, our homes would be places where the gospel permeates all that we do. And we pray for the children of this church or that many would come to faith in Christ this upcoming year. We thank you for the way the parents so faithfully teach the gospel to their kids. Thank you for the way the kids' ministry here invests in them. But Lord, we pray for fruit. And we pray that your Holy Spirit be working in their hearts and these seeds that have been so faithfully planted over the years and watered over the years would begin to grow. And that this year we see many children turn to you and believe in you. 
We pray for the senior adults of our church as well. Thank you that many of them got to gather together just a week or two ago to fellowship. And Lord, I pray that you would bless them and provide all that they need. And God, I pray you give them just a great vision of seeing how you want to use them to make you known, how you want to use them to disciple the younger generations. So we pray that you would raise them to be a mighty army, a mighty force in your kingdom purposes. As well, we want to pray for those outside the walls of this church. We want to pray particularly right now for the kids at Capitol Heights Middle School. We thank you for the faithfulness of so many here to go early on Tuesday mornings for Bible study or stay after on Thursdays and tutor them or to do things that are unseen to bless these kids in need. And Lord, we pray that you would just be moving in those situations where the presence of the people of Gateway there at Capitol Heights would be a blessing and it would let the gospel go forth in powerful ways, changing lives and changing families there at that school. We pray for our friend, Dwayne Rembert at Flatline Church in Chisholm. Thank you for the vision you gave him to plant a church in the Chisholm community. We pray today as they gather this afternoon that you would bless them, that you bless the teaching of your word there, that, Lord, people from the community would be drawn in and want to come this Christmas season and that, Lord, lives would be transformed and we see total community transformation happening there because the gospel is going forth. Lord, as well, we want to pray for the nations this morning. Pray for our friend, Ryan Thomas, who has moved to Southeast Asia to reach Chinese who can cross the border. We pray that you would just bless him and his family as they get situated and settled in. Lord, as they try to build a home from scratch in the nation they're now in, we pray that you provide everything that they need. Lord, as we're thinking about the peoples of the world needing, we want to pray today as well for the Uyghur people in China. We're 12 million people, almost none of whom know who you are. Lord, we thank you that there are a handful of believers, and we pray you strengthen those very few believers. But Lord, for this almost 100% Islamic people group in China, a group that has been so persecuted by the Chinese government, a group that has been so oppressed in so many ways, but a group that's so in need of the gospel and yet so hard to it, God, we pray you would do a miracle and do a breakthrough, that the gospel would penetrate the Uyghur people, whether you get the, 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 the Christians in China would be burdened for this different people group of their, in their own nation, that Christians from other nations would be drawn to go into a very, very difficult place. And Lord, you would make a way, which seems impossible from human eyes, you would make a way for the gospel to make it to the Uyghur people. And you would soften their hearts to believe and that we would see a mighty turning to Christ among these 12 million Islamic people in China. Or as we think about these things, whether it's the need of kids here believing or the needs of any of the groups of our church or the needs of the people of the world, Lord. Again, our hope is what we've just sung about and thought about, that you give grace upon grace. So I pray you'd help us turn to that and delight in that. Lord, this morning as we think about the Christmas theme of joy, Lord, we thank you that Jeff is bringing your word to us this morning. We thank you for him and how he faithfully shepherds so many people here by your grace. And we pray this morning as he teaches us your word that you would give us receptive ears to hear. And Lord, your word would transform us. They give us hope where we need hope and conviction where we need conviction. And that your church and your people be built up through your word this morning. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I was going to say that. (laughs) Good morning, everyone. I'm grateful for the opportunity to talk with you again. And this week, as you've seen in the Advent presentation, we're talking about joy. Joy is a difficult term to define because it is used so frequently during this time of year that it can lose its meaning. We have a lot of Christmas decorations that use the term joy. It's nice. It starts with the same letter as Jesus, and it's the same shape as a candy cane. 
Outside of its functional reasons, however, it seems to be on our lips a lot during this time. We sing songs about joy. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. I remember songs I sang in a church as a kid. You probably know these too. I've got the joy and we can repeat, down in my heart to stay. And most of us even know this song, joy to the world, all the boys and girls, joy to the fishes in the deep blue sea, joy to you and me. That's not a hymn. Not anywhere close. But you can see how the language, the consistent use of a term can make the word lose its power. And our goal today is to think through what joy really means. How Christ is our model for pursuing this joy and how we can follow him in this pursuit. When we see the word joy written, it should resonate deeply with us because of what the word truly means. Truly understanding joy can push us deeper than the shallowness that surrounds the season and it will lead us to a greater reflection on God's goodness. So let's start with the key passage for today. I'll ask you to stand in the reading of God's word for the reading of God's word. This is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Lord, we talk often about Jesus being the reason for the season, but it's so easy to get distracted during this time of year among all of the family and the gifts and the celebrations. Uh, We can move away from the truth of the gospel of why you came, and I pray that you will restore our vision of that this morning as we look in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so there's a big idea that I want us to consider today, but it is a tough one. I think we can embrace it, and if we do embrace it, we will find strength to walk out this life and a persistent, unshakable joy. And here's the big idea. True and lasting joy comes through suffering. Merry Christmas. (laughs) I don't take these seven words lightly or out of context of what the Bible teaches. Often we paper over suffering with by some statement that God reflect, about God that reflects our own inability to grapple with suffering. Statements like these can seem hollow or empty, platitudes that don't help. I've heard something like this before. You have too, and if you're like me, have said it before. And this, please understand, this is not an attempt to move quickly beyond pain by covering it over with some simple statement. It's a statement of pursuit. I want true and lasting joy. I want to know how we get it. I am not there, but I'm convinced that this is what Scripture teaches, and I am on this path of discovery with you. In God's truth, we learn that there is joy in where you've been, and there will be joy in where you're going. So we're going to start with this, uh, with a definition, right? We can't really talk about joy if we don't know what joy means. So what is joy? Here is the definition of what I think Scripture teaches. Joy is a persistent contentment with God at its center that overflows in worship. Let me say that again. Joy is a persistent contentment with God at its center that overflows in worship. Now, I struggled with how to define this term, 
because of the ready-made connection to the idea of happiness. And it's really easy to talk about happiness, but in order for it to reach the level of biblical joy, we'd have to throw on a bunch of adjectives to give it that weight that joy has. I'm, I'm happy a lot. Like, I'm happy when I, something I'm working on works out for once, right? I'm happy when my family is peaceful, right? <laughs> Whenever that is. Um, I'm happy when my sports teams win. And I'm un- like, you hear how conditional that happiness is. I'm happy when things are okay. But all of that is conditioned on or dependent upon things outside of me to make me happy, right? For me to find some happiness in somebody else doing something for me. You see the problem here. Joy, as God gives it, is not conditional, conditional upon sinful humans. It's not conditional upon 20-year-olds playing football on a weekend. It's not conditional upon my family being peaceful. Joy is based on God. It depends on Him, which is why Scripture consistently calls on us to rejoice in God. It is an attribute of God that He shares with us. He rejoices in the work that He does, and we do too. This is Psalm 104.31. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles. Who touches the mountains and they smoke. Anytime we discuss God's work with us, we have to always keep in mind just how exceedingly bigger and greater he is. At the same time, we see that tremendous mercy in in calling us into his family and caring for us. We're going to look at a few scriptures that tend to come up when discussing the topic of joy. However, we all have a tendency sometimes to grab these little statements and we put them out in, in t-shirts and pithy statements and we kind of reduce the bigger story into things that are a little easier to remember. And so sometimes we can talk about joy and, and these disconnected phrases. And so what I hope this morning is to show some of these phrases and then to, for us to really look at the story behind them, to see the bigger story. Here's Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. This is a wonderful promise to us. God is at the center. He is mighty and capable of saving us. He rejoices over us. He quiets us. Notice, though, We see this immense joy before us in the need for being saved, in the need to be quieted. There is more to this story than just the rejoicing. It addresses our need for joy. Let's look at the command for people to rejoice in giving their first fruits as they entered into the promised land in Deuteronomy 26, 11. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you into your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. What are we to rejoice in? All the good that the Lord your God has given to you. God is at the center of this joy, and there is a call for us to put God at the center. God has a particular way of moving us to do this, however. There is more to this story. 
And if you uh, are from, have some church background, you've also heard the phrase, the joy of the Lord is my strength, right? Nehemiah 8.10. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Here we see God's great joy and we see it empowering the people The joy of the Lord is indeed our strength. But what do we need strength for? There's more to this story too. We see from these passages that biblical joy comes with God at its center. We are to rejoice in what God has done for us. It sounds really good when we have things working out, when we're happy. But each of these passages comes from a season of tremendous suffering where the call is for the people in their broken and destitute state to look to God to find their joy. Here's the bigger context of Zephaniah 3, starting in verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. That on that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all of your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcast. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. Hear the words that surround this passage of comfort and joy. Mourning, suffering, oppression, lame, outcast, shame. Seeing the wonder of rejoicing of God rejoicing over us comes because we are very well of the pain and suffer, very, very well aware, excuse me, of the pain and suffering around us and our own weaknesses. God's people had faced oppression because of their sin, and they are hearing that He will rescue them. What's the rest of the story in Deuteronomy 26, starting in verse five? And you shall make a response before the Lord your God. I love this phrase. A wandering Aramean was my father. Right? This is the nation of Israel identifying, and they say, a wandering Aramean was my father. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders, and brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground which you, O Lord, have given me, and you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. 
This rejoicing comes from the story of the nation of Israel and, to the tri- and, to, and their trials to this point. They, as a nation, had experienced great suffering. Remember, Moses is recounting the experiences of the people who have already died because of their sin and God's judgment. Rejoicing comes through the recognition of this suffering. As the people laid down their first fruits, they remind themselves just how difficult the road has been to get here. And what about Nehemiah? Nehemiah, This is Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 9 through 12. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord. To our Lord, excuse me. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to spend portions to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. And this story takes place as the people of Israel had returned from exile to rebuild the city and the temple. They had been working with a shovel in one hand and a sword in the other because of the consistent threats against their lives. They saw the great promised city ruined and Ezra read the law. They heard what we all hear when we hear the law. They heard their own sins. They heard the reason why the city was gone and the temple was in shambles. They knew and they were grieved. What was their comfort in this suffering? What was their strength to carry on through this immense guilt? They received his joy because they were well aware of their need for it. I hope you're beginning to see now that this contentment, this resilient joy that stands firm comes through suffering. And while this might seem difficult and we might question God's approach to bringing joy in this way, we cannot say that he is distant or that he doesn't understand what this suffering is, which leads to our next point. Now that we've defined joy, we can ask who is our model for joy? And hearing this idea that joy comes through suffering can be difficult. But let's go back to Hebrews 12 too. We're going to be looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus went through the cross for the joy set before him. This is the substance behind the promise of Christmas. We can go back to the pronouncements of the shepherds when we talk about Christmas. We often do, right? So does Linus with the security blanket, right? Calling for lights, right? But this, it's again, another one of those places where we hear this so often we miss its power. But listen to this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Be, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel of 
it was with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, <clears throat> Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The good news of great joy, the Savior is born today. The announcement of Jesus was that he would save the people. And how did he save the people? Remember Genesis 3, where the descendant of Eve would crush the serpent's head, but would also be struck. Remember Psalm 22, where we first hear the phrase, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That Jesus spoke on the cross. Remember Isaiah 53, when we receive this promise of a Savior. Verses 3 through 6. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, each of us each, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the great promise of Christmas Day. This was why we should rejoice. This is why Jesus came to earth. But we should also see the completion of the story, what Jesus was pursuing in the Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 12. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he, will, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and he and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressions. Christ endured suffering for the joy that comes from our salvation, from seeing God's will fulfilled in that. Notice this key statement. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Remember that joy is a persistent contentment. And this satisfaction, this revelation, this comes through his suffering. Remember that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. We see in Hebrews 2.10, For it is fitting that he, for whom, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. The accomplishment of God's plan, the great redemptive story, the thing for which we praise God continually takes place through suffering. Jesus pursued this suffering all the way through the cross so that we might be brought into the family. It was the Father's will to crush him that we might be saved. And on the other side, on the other side Jesus has an entire family that he has brought to salvation of which we are a part this is the source of our salvation and is the source of our joy because it cannot be shaken by anything in the world. So if Jesus is our model, our third question is, 
what is our path to joy? And how do we experience it? How do we see that God has called us, that all that God has called us to be and is leading us to? We follow the same path as our master. We too will see joy through our suffering. And our suffering, by God's will, is the path to joy. God uses our suffering as the means to discipline us as a loving father, to take away those idols and potential idols in our lives that will wreck us. Let's keep moving in Hebrews chapter 12. This is verses 3 through 8 and 11. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have, not forgot, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. Disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline. If you are left without discipline in which you have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, our hearts, even now, are so inclined to sin that they must be turned away from the pursuits of this world and to God. We will consistently find, find ourselves settling for mere happiness that will ultimately destroy us. God would have us walk with joy, and this is our perspective on suffering. He will bring us to that greater joy through the suffering. This is Psalm 30, verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night. Joy comes in the morning. And we see God's anger over our sin, and we see his favor in taking that to the cross. The joy comes in the morning through the weeping of the night. And God wants to bring us to joy. Discipline yields the fruit of righteousness. Fruit of righteousness might sound familiar to you. If it is righteous, then who should it come from? It comes from God. And what is the second fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22? Joy. What can we do because of this joy? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that as what, is, what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. This is written for people who struggle. This is written for those who are suffering, for those who are at their wits' end, and for those who are so overwhelmed by their own sin that they can see no way out of it. Do you realize that when we feel like we are at our worst in those moments that we can't seem to get up or get past the next step, we are closest to seeing exactly why Jesus came to die? He came to set all this right. Recognizing this truth and turning to him is the path of joy because this joy is not dependent upon me doing the right thing, of earning what I deserve. The closest path we can find to joy is to say, I give up. And when we say this, 
We will see God in his almighty power. We will rejoice in his amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. It becomes much more than a song then. And we will see God working to make us more like him. This is why we can find joy in suffering. James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is much more than trying to paper over something with this phrase of joy or trying to make ourselves feel happy. It is coming from the deep understanding that whatever we face in this world is designed under God's will to lead us to a greater joy in him. Our definition of joy was a persistent contentment with God at its center that overflows in worship. What's another word for persistent contentment? Steadfastness. And let it have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Why would we sacrifice that kind of joy for mere happiness? Why do we want to consistently look at the pain in this world and move past it? I don't want to think about it. Versus where God would have us go to say, Father, this suffering is showing me my great need for you. And I want to find you in it in order to find this joy. I'm well aware that as I share this truth that many of you are already facing tremendous suffering. I look around the room and I think about those who are worshiping from home. I can recognize that many of you are suffering. You know the stories of cancer, debilitating illness, fear, wavered children, struggling through the deaths of loved ones. I recognize that sharing this truth from the stage can sometimes seem disconnected from reality. I can present what Jesus has done and it can make sense in our head. But even if we have all the answers right and understand mentally that God is with us, we have to also realize that suffering is a lived experience. We can break this down in various ways and understanding and and get it all right in our minds. But suffering, we feel it in our hearts. And it's important to understand that suffering is a journey with joy at its end, but it can be tremendously painful in the process. Please hear me that God is near you, even in the midst of your suffering. Each of us has known suffering or will know suffering at some level. You do not have to go and find it. The sad reality for many of us is that suffering is right on the tip of our tongue. It comes in many forms, and for most of you, I don't have to convince you of that point. Many of you may already be thinking of something, maybe even trying to ignore it because it is too painful. I get that. I want to offer some of my story today as a testimony of God's goodness and how he has led me to joy through suffering. If my, excuse me, if my example helps, then great. But remember that this is about God's work. I am merely just a vessel for telling his story. I can recount the many times that I've failed even in the midst of seeing the tremendous works of God and God continues to use these struggles to bring his glory and my good. Many of you know, and for those who don't, my youngest child, Leela, is a cancer survivor. She was diagnosed with a rare eye cancer called retinoblastoma when she was six weeks old. 
and she lost, lost her left eye within two weeks of that diagnosis. Given the opportunity, I hope you get the chance to hear Mandy's side of the story, and Sable and Leela and Ollie's as well. It's, they're different and unique to them, and they have also suffered and have seen God's, God's goodness in it. But for me, this came at a time when I still had a good sense of who I was and what I wanted to be. I was finishing my first year of a Ph.D. program on track to become an English professor, which I felt was my calling and where God was leading me at that time. During that first season of diagnosis and treatment, I did okay. And in fact, a couple of months later, I spoke during Father's Day here at Gateway and shared all of the good that I was seeing because of Leela's cancer. I remember recounting all of the trials that we had faced at that point and how God had continued to work. I'm sure God used that message for good, as he always does. But looking back now on my own heart, I realized just how much faith I had put in my ability to understand and think rightly about suffering and present it to others. My faith was not in God. My faith was in myself. 17 months later, I was in the midst of my qualifying exams and really struggling with thinking that I was way out of my depth. I was overwhelmed. And we got the news late that, around that time that Leela's cancer had come back. And over the next several months, God broke me as I entered into deep levels of anxiety over Leela, over school, over family, over career. I was reaching the end of my rope. We led a few treatments and was doing well and hasn't had any issues since then, praise God. Uh, I cleared my qualifying exams, but after that season, I couldn't move forward. I was stuck, waking up in the middle of the night with panic attacks about nonspecific things. I thought I knew what I needed to do. I needed to find another framework, a way of justifying all this great pain that I was struggling with, a way for me to redeem it. Do you hear the problem there? Who's doing the redeeming? Me. I had to find something, anything that can make sense of what I was experiencing. The church where we were worshiping in Knoxville spent time during the season of Lent talking about lament and what we mourn. So I sat down with a pastor and had a whole set of questions that I wanted to ask about whether or not I was lamenting rightly. Hear the the language of that? Am I lamenting? I said that. Am I lamenting rightly? Okay, (laughs) I thought that maybe the solution to my problem was to find that path that I could use to make sense of the world. I couldn't move forward because I couldn't understand what was going on, which, looking back, still kept me at the center of finding my resilience in my suffering. After this pastor let me go on for a couple of minutes, he said, Do you know what I think your problem is? You are scared to death that your daughter is going to die. I've never had tears hit my eyes that fast. I've never had my chest tighten like that. I'm sitting in a restaurant trying not to fall out of my chair. This pastor got to the root of the issue. There wasn't a framework that I could find that would give me hope because it would always be dependent upon me. I needed to come to an end of myself. Not long afterwards, Mandy and I were back in this pastor's office because I could still not move forward. And after hearing Mandy's perspective, this pastor, by God's grace, looked at me again and said, you are sick, and if you don't get help, 
you're not going to make it. I quickly ended up in a counselor's office answering the types of questions that none of us want to have to answer. I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder and have continued to see see it rear its ugly head again and again, even now. I left the counselor's office that day literally looking at the ground and saying, that grass is green and it is good because anything beyond that was simply overwhelming. And slowly, steadily, through that season and today, through God's love and my marriage and through some amazing friends, God removed all of the sense that I had it together. And what have I found there? Joy. This is Psalm 73, 23 through 26. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me at glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So Mandy painted verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For Leela, before she was born, and we hung it up in her room, And when I spoke here in 2012, I quoted it because I felt like we understood it because of what we had experienced. We had seen Leela's flesh fail because of her cancer. But that was only half of my story, and I didn't realize that until much later. I needed to experience my heart may fail so so to find the other side, which is God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This joy, this holy contentment that looks upward, I needed to find that. But I don't get there unless I've experienced the suffering I have. I've learned that I don't have it all together. He does. And I've learned that none of this world is in my hands. It is in his. I tell you, as this, I tell you this story as an encouragement to keep going. I'm still going. I still struggle with anxiety. I still have to battle. I was, in Baptist South. I was at Baptist South in May with anxious chest pains. I have not arrived, but I know that God will use these battles and this suffering to bring me to joy, that I may be complete, lacking nothing. What is the promise of Christmas? What do the angels testify to? The good news of great joy? The Lord has come. All the wrongs starting in the garden will be set right. And our joy will be complete. So where is our joy? If you are suffering right now, don't put the weight of joy on the resolution of your circumstances. Don't wait until things get better. God calls us to find joy in Christ even now. Then we will have the resolve that stands firm through the difficult storms. We will find satisfaction in Him, the strength to keep going. This doesn't make suffering easier, but we can see a greater purpose. Let us look to Christ. I want to close with John 15, where Jesus, right before his crucifixion, tells his disciples in verse 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Christ then left and died on the cross for the joy set before him, and then rose again to sit down next to the throne of glory. 
And as we go, let us remember that Christ went before us. Let us look to him, his sacrifice, his resurrection, and remember that it is finished, that we are his. And because of that, we can stand up on weak knees, not because we are strong, but because he is. And even our weaknesses will point to his strength. Be encouraged, family. There is great joy for us now and even greater in the future. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for going for the joy set before you. Thank you for enduring the cross, for scorning its shame, and for sitting down at the right hand of the Father. Thank you. Thank you for leading us through the suffering that we face so that we too might experience what it means to follow you. That we will know our need for you and understand that in our weakness we see your strength. And as we go through this season, as we sing songs of joy, let, it, let those songs take us back to the cross where what was broken has been redeemed. In Jesus' name, amen.
share with you this benediction from Hebrews chapter 13 verses 20 and 21 as we close. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thank mm-hmm. you.